Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Okay, so as Andre mentioned, I love that cheeky little, um, yeah, that little thing you put in there about your lift group. Well, I want to talk about my lift group, all right? Um, This was actually in the plans. Andre's wasn't. Um, All right, so we do have lift groups starting in a few weeks' time, and it's always such a fantastic time. Um, we, uh, Pastor Nate and I, and um, yeah, Pastor Nate and I, we uh, run a lift group that was known before as Growth Track, but we just thought that 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 name did not work for us. So we've called it Ground Floor, and yes, my husband, who loves his puns, did come up with the name. We are Lift Church, and so this foundational course is, of course, called Ground Floor. Um, And so during Ground Floor, it's also attached to um, a group called Shape, and Shape is wonderful because we actually talk about your um, God-given makeup, like how God has wired you. Um, And so it's a cool thing where you go through your gifts, you go through your personality type and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it it actually leads to you to a real practical, um, yeah, practical kind of a group. Um, But in the first few weeks, Pastor Nate and I talk about um, the mission of Lift Church, and we talk about the history. Hasn't been too long, but it's definitely been exciting and packed full of awesome God words and significant moments. Um, But we go through all of that, and so we actually see ground floor as a really important part of of if you want to be a part of Lift Church and and a part of the family, then you need to know um, what we're all about. You need to know who we are and what our mission is in this town and beyond that. Um, And so if you haven't yet um, been a part of formerly Growth Track, Ground Floor, we invite you to be a part of it. Um, That's a group that you can sign up for um, out in the foyer as well. Um, and you can see all the other options as well. It's going to be a really fantastic term, um, as Andre mentioned. So we're really, really excited for that. Um, something we're also excited for is this year in general. Um, if you haven't been around lately, we've actually got a hashtag for this year. And so if on, you're on social media, then feel free to use this and, and, and go along with us with this. Um, but our hashtag is Stronger17. Um, and we are just so excited for what God is going to do this year because truly through everything that he's put on our heart, we see ourselves as individuals and as a church becoming stronger. And so we're really excited for that. Um, And so in January this month, we thought we'd kick off uh, this this year, this vision really that we see with a real practical message series. We've called it Take Five. And what we've been discussing, what we've been talking about are a simple yet significant and effective uh, habits that we can work into our life on a day-to-day, on a weekly basis in order for us to reach that stronger 17. So this morning, the topic that we're going to be talking about is that all-important topic of prayer. Now, um, I think for most of us, we we kind of have a bit of a grip on what prayer is. We we understand it a little bit. Um, But but I find anyway that in the busyness of life, this all-important 
thing, this all-important tool that God has given us can really fall to the wayside. You know, we get really busy. um, And there are other things that sometimes hinder us from really taking up this prayer habit in our lives. For me, um, coming into Christianity when I first got saved, we'd refer to prayer time, and and let me know if you if you like identify with this. But we referred to prayer time as quiet time or the secret place. Oh, the secretive stuff would happen. Um, and so for me, I'm I'm a sanguine personality. If you haven't already guessed, um, but I just I remember coming into Christianity and thinking, man, my personality has to change like because I'm not very quiet and um and the thought of sitting with Jesus for like this long period of time really quiet just bored me to death and so like secret place quiet time they're all things that you think oh that's a punishment for a child right or for a sanguine amen um so I I was just like man Oh, I don't like prayer. Is this really you know, something that, that God wants me to change in order to do, in order to um, have as a habit in my life? You know, some um, sometimes as well, we can look at people who um, maybe aren't so sanguine and they actually can wake up at, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning and have a good long hour with the Lord. And I just think whenever I hear stuff like that, I just feel so inferior as a Christian because I'm like, man, wake up at 5 a.m. Okay, that's doable. But staying awake after waking up at 5 a.m., I just, I don't know, it's hard. It's tough, right? Um and so coffee or you can, yeah, I think that's fine. I think the Lord would approve of that. Um, having coffee while you pray. But there are just all these things. And like, like I mentioned, um, we do get busy. And, and who, who saw that movie War Room last year? Yeah, it was awesome, right? I remember talking to Sandy after seeing it. And it was just like, wow, really feel like praying heaps more, hey, after seeing that movie. But, you know, um, this is something I often do. I'm really funny in this way. Like, I love my fads and I love my, um, like, just things that I go through. Ask my husband. He's like, yep, she loves her fads. Anyway, so I watched War Room and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to have my own war room? So I went, um, we've got, our, our bedroom's really cool in that it's got this, like, little nook thing. So it's not a corner of the bedroom it's actually this extended part and so I got my grandma's rocking chair that she gave to me put it there I got this really nice side table decorated of course because you can't have your prayer time without a candle um, and and making it all look nice um, just in case the Lord's like Instagram that bad boy and so so you got to you got to prepare it you know you got to prepare it all of you guys have done it all of you guys have done the yeah I'm gonna Instagram people gonna know I'm holy um and you put your Bible there and it, and it looks so good and you get so excited about this space, this place where you're like, yeah, I'm going to go war, you know, I'm going to war in the spirit and I'm going to, how does um, Billy Graham say it? It's awesome. He's going to plunder hell and populate heaven. You know, that's what we do in our war room. It's, it's awesome. But, you know, sometimes places like that can become more of a distraction. Like we're having a full on busy day and we don't actually get time to step into our war room, first go past all the distraction because you've made it look so nice um we don't often get that time in in our hectic lives and and so this morning I really want to talk to us about how we can make this this habit of prayer um doable in in our day-to-day in our everyday life because I believe it's powerful God gives us scriptures like um a popular one that we all, all kind of read along our Christian journey is if my people would humble themselves pray and seek my face then I will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land we love 
love scriptures like that because it promises so much if only we would just pray. And so I really believe prayer is powerful. So let's see how we can work that habit into our life. Two years ago, um, I made a goal of becoming strong physically. Now, I'm talk- now today we're going to be talking about getting stronger spiritually, right, through prayer. But two year- years ago, I dedicated myself to going on this journey of fitness and of health. And um, I made some goals like I wanted to exercise or go for a run four to five times a week. Um, and two years on, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like there aren't many weeks in the year that I'd go without doing that. Um, but, you know, it got to a point where I'm like, okay, I've got to actually start um, getting some muscle working on this body. Um, and so when I started doing things like push-ups and, and, and doing some weights and stuff, my little Indian arms just couldn't really hack it. Um, it, it just got really, really tough. Um, but the thing is, I, I realized that in order for me to get stronger, yes, I needed to work out. We need to work out our muscles for them, for our bodies to be stronger. But there's always that point in when you work out and, and a couple of us have been playing soccer on Friday nights in January and the next day, like you hear about people who are sore. Um, but the thing is, is that in order for us to have a habit of working out and a habit of, of building muscle in our body, we need to push past that pain. We need to push past that that hard, hard time. You know, when you, when you hit that, you just got to be able to push past it in order for us to to actually have um, our our muscles grow. And the thing is, the way that muscles work is that the more you use them, it's like they've got a memory of themselves. It's it's actually amazing how God has made our bodies. It's like they've got this memory. And so the muscle that you continue to use is more easily activated the next time you go to do that workout or do that lift or whatever that movement is. That's how muscle works. And the thing is with prayer, it's very similar to that. It's like a muscle in our life. If we pray more, it's more easily activated in our life. Can Does anyone, you know, you get, get where I'm going? If we do it more, it actually becomes easy. And that's why I believe God wants us to form a habit of prayer. It's not a once-off. It's not a, um, you know, every time we feel like it. But the habit of prayer is so, so powerful. Awesome. So... Let me see where I'm up to. Fantastic. So how do we pass, push past that struggle point of prayer? Just like how we got to push past that when we, when we do our workouts. How can we do that? This morning, I want to share from the life of a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you guessed it, is in the Bible, in the book of Nehemiah. He wrote that book. Um, it's found in the Old Testament. And Nehemiah is an amazing guy. First of all, if you haven't read that book, please read it. It's it's awesome. He um was this incredible leader, uh, and what what he actually did was that he um, wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet or anything like that. He actually worked in a secular environment, and it's really important that we do note that. Um, but for Nehemiah, he was cupbearer to the king, the king of Babylon, and so um, he would test out whether the king's food or drink had been poisoned before the king put it into his mouth. Um, he was basically, you know, the bodyguard, um, and 
so that's what he did. But then later on in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is called by God to restore and rebuild Jerusalem because Jerusalem had been destroyed during an exile of the Jews. And so these Jews were um, soon going to be released to go back home to Jerusalem, but they had no place to go because it lay in ruins. And the thing is for Nehemiah, his heart connected with this because his forefathers were actually from Jerusalem. And so God calls him to do that. And and it's just such a fantastic story. But the important thing is that we do know that... um, Nehemiah, uh, prayer wasn't a part of his of his occupation. It wasn't a part of his profession. You know, he wasn't called to pray for the king. He was there to literally, like, make sure the king doesn't die. Um, and so for many of us, we find ourselves in a secular work environment. We find ourselves in that kind of space. Um, and we sometimes think that prayer, that habit of prayer, is actually for the chosen frozen. They're for, you know, the prophet. It's for the priest. It's for the church pastor or whatever. Um, but the thing is, God uh, doesn't allow us to make those excuses. But he actually says, no, you're all in. You're all included in this. Um, you're all included in creating this habit of prayer. We all qualify. Um, And so we're going to be looking at Nehemiah's life. So what was it about his prayer life? What was it um, about him that can help us? First of all, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that I found when reading through Nehemiah was that he didn't limit himself to praying in a certain way at a certain time um, and, and, you know, with certain words or anything like that. He didn't, it was like reading his story. There wasn't one right way to pray. Um, and I think for a lot of us, we, we kind of get uncomfortable because depending where you've grown up and, and what kind of church or Christian background you've had, um, you can sometimes think that there are certain phrases that really grab God's attention or or like there's a certain space like your war room where you just hear God's voice so much more and prayer is more effective. But reading Nehemiah's story, it was like a breath of fresh air because he prayed um, in all sorts of ways and he prayed at all sorts of times. Let's have a look. In Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this, as soon as I heard, okay, sorry, so Nehemiah just got a report from some people who had been to Jerusalem and they're coming to tell him that it's basically in ruins. So this is his response. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah, we see here that he fasted. He actually dedicated himself to periods of fasting and praying. In Nehemiah chapter 2, I'm just going to jump through this a little bit because it's quite a big text. Um, so basically Nehemiah is in front of the king and and the king can tell that he's sad and the thing is you're not supposed to show emotion in front of the king. So the king picks this up about Nehemiah um, and basically asks him what's wrong. Nehemiah tells him Jerusalem is in ruins and then this is where we pick it up. Uh, the king says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king's basically like, yep, you can go. So here, mid-conversation, in a very important context, on the job, Nehemiah prays. And it's that quick uh, two-second prayer. And so Nehemiah fasts and prays for days, but Nehemiah also prays on the spot. 
You know, for us who have kind of come from those backgrounds where we're like, no, there, there's a right way to pray. There's a certain way. The thing is, Jesus talks about um, pray, prayer as a matter of the heart instead of a certain way. You know, he talks about how go into your room, close your door, pray to the Father that's in secret. But he's not saying, hey, go create a war room. He's actually saying, don't show off with your prayers. Just have the right heart. It's not about you that you would speak all these lofty prayers with so many words, but it's actually about you just having the right heart. And we see here with Nehemiah that his heart is right. And so he takes prayer everywhere. He creates opportunities in his everyday to pray. And I think through the life of Nehemiah, God is giving us permission as well to to actually take prayer with us wherever we go. We don't need to wait to get home in the morning. We don't need to wait till we're here at church and can pray with fellow believers. But I've seen powerful things happen when I've prayed with someone who doesn't know yet Jesus, know Jesus yet. Um, but a miracle has happened. They've been healed. They've been set free of some kind of addiction or something that was keeping them bound. And that's not in a a Christian context or a religious context at all. It's out there in the world. It's in our, our everyday, our day-to-day. And I think God, that's where He wants us to activate prayer as well as that secret place, <laughs> secret place, um, with God, that intimate place. So that's the first thing. God, uh, Nehemiah didn't limit himself to praying, to seeing prayer as there's a right way and there's a wrong way. The second thing, um, the second gem that I just saw in Nehemiah's life is that he um, made prayer his first port of call, especially when he was struggling. Now, that sometimes doesn't sit well with us. And I know when I first read that, it didn't really sit, sit well with me either, because then we we don't want God to feel like he, he's our get-out-of-jail-free card. Am I right? We never want God to feel that way. But the thing is, I believe that God wants us in our struggles to come and pray to Him, for Him to be the one that we actually come, come to in our times of struggle. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why would this be God's will for us? Because the thing is, as a people, and and we are on a mission, you know, we're going to be rolling out the vision of Lift Church come February, but we're on a mission. And the thing is, there's always going to be opposition to people who want to make God famous in their community, who want to bring God front and center in society again. You know, just seeing the things on the news and what's going on with our political parties, the the our nation is actually turning quite anti-Christ, anti-God. And so... So it's really, really important that we actually bring God front and center in this world. But there will be opposition. And we do see this for Nehemiah. It actually happened to him on several occasions. Um, the poor guy. But like he, he always turned to prayer. Let's have a look at, at one of the situations he found himself in. Nehemiah chapter 4 says, When... All of these guys, they have fun names, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they 
all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So he had people who wanted to come and fight against what they were doing, be actively uh, pressing them and, and coming against their work. And the thing is, Nehemiah, this wasn't just the one thing that he faced. He faced ridicule um, to his face and before his people as well. It's one thing to be ridiculed in private, but it's another thing to be ridiculed um, in public in front of the people that you're leading. He he was sent death threats um, through message, but also through messengers, through people. He even had um, prophets come to him and falsely prophesy against him to stop the work that God had called him to do. He faced opposition. But the thing is, I love about Nehemiah is that when he faced this opposition, he didn't think, okay, uh, this is getting tough now. And, and I totally relate to this because I've totally thought this before. But this is getting tough now. I think this might mean God wants me to move on. God must, must be wanting me to move on from this thing because I feel like his favor is leaving. But the thing is, Nehemiah didn't see that as that kind of a situation. He knew that his work was not yet done. And so he knew instead, instead of saying, okay, yep, uh, I'm done here. It must be God's will for me to move on. He actually prays. He actually takes it to God. And I love that um, Nehemiah, in, in one of his responses, he, he responds in this way. He's thinking about what these people are trying to do to him. And he just thinks really clearly and he prays. He says, they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. The thing is, God's will for us is to not stop praying, to constantly pray, to pray in the face of peace and prosperity, but also to pray in the face of our struggles as well. And why is this? Why would God say prayer is so important when you're struggling? Because prayer is a muscle that, that helps our faith become stronger. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. It's not so much in times of peace and prosperity when life is going rosy that we need to be assured of those things that we're hoping for. Am I right? You're kind of like, you're on that mountaintop. You're, you're just riding on it. You're like, yep, you know, it's, it's, it's mine in the name of Jesus. But it's when we're struggling that we actually need to be assured of what we're hoping for, where we need to get solid on our convictions again. And that is what faith is. It's just that firming up of what God's said will actually happen and you know before we planted um, lift I got the privilege of leading the Bible college at Centerpoint Church and I led it for a few years yeah Mitchell went to Bible college at Centerpoint he was a good student <laughs> we produced a gold student <laughs> yeah thanks mate that'll be 20 for today um so yeah, I got to lead this college and it started off amazing. Like I, I was I was first of all blown away at the opportunity because I'm not a very academic person. So I'm like, ha, huh, God, what a sense of humor. You put somebody who's not very academic as the leader of this Bible college. Like it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, God's great in that way. Um, but basically I started off and it was awesome and, and I prayed into it and I just saw this, uh, this amazing vision, I guess, of what God wanted to do through this Bible. Bible 
college, but it didn't mean that it was all rosy over the few years. It actually really had its ups and downs. It's where my faith was truly tested. You know, there were times where I got to meet up with other ACC um, college directors and just to hear what God was doing in their college was awesome. And and part of me totally cheered for them and was like, that's amazing. Um, But then there was another part of me that was like, oh man, am I cut out for this? Am I really supposed to be called to this right now? God, are you sure you know what you're doing? You know, these people would be um, doing amazing things and, and they'd be growing by the tens but over at our college you know we're growing by the ones every semester and it was just tough and I really questioned myself and there were times where I'd have these conversations with Pastor Nate and I'd be like mate am I supposed to be doing this like is it my time to move on but then those conversations, although they were good and they were encouraging, it just didn't give me that conviction. It just didn't give me that that strengthening on the inside. And, you know, I'd talk to my mentors, I'd talk to my senior pastor and be like, hey, this is what's going on, this is how I'm feeling. And those conversations were great. But the thing is, the conviction, the faith I needed to get through the struggle only came when I sought God in prayer. It was only those times with Him where He could encourage my faith, where He could lift me up from that discouragement, where He could speak again and tell me again and show me again the gold that He wanted to produce in the students that we had in our college and and what He wanted to do and and, and how we were just supposed to run it for this time that I was meant to be running it. Anyway, he just showed me these things. He reminded me of what his heart was for this college. And it was in those moments of prayer where I was truly strengthened, where my faith was reignited. The thing is, in our struggle, we need faith. In the times that we're doing well, we also need faith. And so it's not wrong if, if, you know, that's just kind of sitting uncomfortable with you. Know today that it's not wrong for you to go to God in your struggle, to pray to Him when you struggle. The thing is, God is a loving Father. That's how He describes Himself to us in the Bible. He's a loving Father. And parents, how many of you would love your child to come to you if it's only in the struggle? goes, hey, at least they're coming to you. At least they're coming. And I believe that's how God feels towards us as well when it comes to prayer. The third thing that we find in Nehemiah's story is that he made God of heaven the focus of his prayers. Nehemiah, it's really funny because when you read his story, he had this crazy intentionality about calling God, God of heaven. It's like he he never addressed God as, as anyone else, you know, I don't know, there are so many names for God, but he always said God in heaven. And off the top of your head right now, you can probably think of the connotations that Nehemiah thought of when praying to God of heaven. You can think God who reigns in heaven, God who is almighty and all powerful, the God who has all the resource of heaven at his disposal. You can think of all these amazing things about God. But the thing is, Nehemiah had this revelation that it wasn't just God that he was praying to when he prayed to God of heaven, but it was actually praying to the host of heaven as well, the arsenal of angels that God had created to rule and reign with him. In Nehemiah 9, 
it says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And that's the part that we see, this creation here on earth. But there's so much more to what God created than we know, than what we can see. He says, You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. When Nehemiah prayed, he reminded himself, I'm not just praying to a God. And, and sometimes I pray to Jesus meek and mild. And I don't even know where that picture came from, to be honest, of Jesus meek and mild. Sometimes I pray, God, help me to have a smooth day at work. Help me to, you know, dance among the daisy fields while I'm at work today. Help me to have a good rest. And, you know, sometimes those prayers are good. And, and literally that's what we need in some seasons, just to pray that. But the thing is, we have a God of heaven who we can pray for, who is capable of doing much more than giving me a nice rest or giving me a smooth day at work. Can I get an amen? Come on. When Nehemiah prayed to God of heaven, he saw God in full power, in full authority. You know, Nate, Pastor Nate and I, we make a habit of going to Hillsong Conference every year in July. Um, and often we stay in an Airbnb. How many of you are familiar with Airbnb? Yeah, it's cool. It's, um, it's an accommodation thing. It's pretty cheap, but it's also pretty nice. And so that's why we go with it. Um, but sometimes the hosts, they, you're basically staying in their house. And then there are other times when they're there with you and they're there to host you. And so a few years back, um, Pastor Nate and I stayed uh, with a couple. And I'm pretty sure they were a Buddhist couple. Um, and it was cool. Like they were of Indian background. And so I tried tried, I say tried because it really was a try, uh, to bond over uh, over chai tea in the morning with, with the guy. He'd like wake up and make this fresh brew of chai tea. It smelled amazing. I was like, man, you got to teach me how to do that. I was trying to become his friend, um, knowing that he's, you know, a Buddhist. Um, and no disrespect to Buddhists, by the way, just want to say, love Buddhists, they're awesome. But um, yeah, this story just helps prove my point. Anyway, so we're staying with this couple and, and one day we come back from conference, we take our shoes off as you do in Asian households. If you don't know that and are about to walk into an Asian household, I just saved you. Uh, an angry auntie kind of, yeah. Um, so you take off your shoes, we put them um, in the hallway, in the walkway, uh, just after you kind of walk in. Um, and then we head off to our room and getting ready for the next day. Um, I come out the following day and the, the lady asked me really kindly, hey, do you mind removing your shoes from where you put them? And I was like, yeah, yeah, all good, cool. I'm pretty sure I put them on and, and headed out to conference. Anyway, I came back and I put my shoes in the same spot. Don't know why I did that. It must have just... I, don't, I honestly don't know what happens up here sometimes. But I did that again, thinking that maybe she wanted to vacuum the other day and that was a good spot now. Um, so I did that and went to bed, got ready for the next day, came back the following morning and she was there again and she asked me very sweetly, do you mind removing your shoes from there? And this time, praise the good Lord, she actually told me why. And so... Where I'd put my shoes was right in front of a statue of her God. Yeah, yeah, man, not good. And um, I didn't know what to do. It was a really stupid moment. And I'm not proud, I'm not proud saying this as your pastor, but I was like, yeah, sure thing. 
ah. So I, I picked up my shoes and, and I looked over and I saw this, this statue of this God. Couldn't have been any bigger than my iPhone. And I was just like, hey, sorry, mate. And picked up my shoes, put them on, walked out the door. Yeah, I know, shame on me. I, like, I was just in shock because the moment of seeing, like, this woman was, she was saying that this thing was her God. And I don't know, it just hit me. I'm like, how can anyone say that this man-made thing is their God? It just surprised the heck out of me, and so I did that. Um, But reading the story of Nehemiah again and just reminded of the magnitude of our God, this God of heaven, I just think we so need to be praying to this God of heaven, first of all, so we can help people who think power comes from statues about yay big and and statues like that hear our prayer requests and and can respond as well and move on our behalf so that we can actually make a difference in our community we can actually lead people who are not following the one true God into a personal relationship with him and so this morning what we're going to do I'm going to invite the band up because we're actually going to spend a little bit of time singing that song beautiful name again And the reason why I want us to sing this song is because when we sing words that are in songs like that, we are reminded of this God of heaven. We are reminded of this amazing, big, mighty, sovereign God. But, you know, before we do that, before I get you to stand to your feet, um, I just wanted to invite you, if you don't yet know this God who we've been talking about, this one who is almighty, who is all-powerful, who is powerful to hear your prayer and move on your behalf, hey, I want to I invite you to know him this morning. The, the thing is, the Bible is very clear about um, prayer. There's a scripture in I believe it's James. James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I don't pull out this scripture to let you know that there's a them and us, that I'm in the righteous club and you're in the unrighteous club. Because to be honest, I can't take credit for that. The thing is, we are only made righteous, we're only made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it talks about that we are all guilty of sin. And you know, you might be here this morning and and you think to yourself, hey, but I I try to live a good life. I try to do things well and, and not to hurt or harm people. And that's fantastic. That's such a great heart to have. But the thing is, we were born into sin when we were born into this world. This world is a place of sin and corruption. And that all happened at the beginning of time. And I don't have time to go into that. But the truth of the matter is that we're all guilty of sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the thing is, we can't actually get rid of this ourselves. It's only through Jesus because the wages of sin, the cost of our sin was death. In order for us to to pay for our sin, we would have to die. But that would mean having death for all eternity, basically dying for all eternity and being in this place void of God and, and anything of God, anything of heaven. 
But the thing is, the Bible talks about the gospel as the good news because the free gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. That's why it's the good news. It's a free gift. And so this morning, how do we receive this free gift? The Bible is also clear. And I love this about the Bible. God doesn't demand us to jump through hoops. He doesn't say, hey, get a cranking prayer life going first, then you'll be made right with God. It's as simple as this. If we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe wholeheartedly that God raised him from the grave, then we will be saved. It's as simple as that. And so right now, I just want us to bow our heads and close our eyes because this is such an important, sacred moment for every person here. So if you've never made this declaration that, hey, I believe that what God did was that He sent Jesus to die for my sin. He took on my sin. He paid the price that it cost. And then He rose again. If you believe that this morning and you want to get right with God, if you want to have a, a prayer life that is so cranking that, that it is powerful and effective, then this morning I invite you to say yes to this invitation. And so on the count of three, I'll give you a few moments to think that over. I want you to just raise your hand on the count of three, just so I know who I'm praying with. No one else is looking around, just myself. All right, one two, three. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, God. Great. All right. I just want to lead us in this declaration afresh. Because I know that sometimes in these moments, it's really daunting to raise your hand. It's really daunting um, to rededicate your life if that's what you need this morning. And so I just want to lead all of us in this prayer together. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. But today I welcome you as my Savior. Thank you for dying for my sin and making me right with God. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.